Hello and welcome to Social X, the podcast from Humentum. My name's George Miller, and I'm your host on this episode. Earlier this year, shortly before COVID-19 came to dominate every conversation, I spoke with Ritza Christopheridis, who's Associate Vice President for Grants and Contracts Policy and Compliance at Save the Children in the US, where she leads efforts to drive a strong control culture and is responsible for designing and implementing a monitoring framework that ensures risk is managed. We talk about some of those big issues in this podcast, as well as getting an insight into more personal aspects of Ritz's motivation. One of my first visits was to our Ethiopia country office, where obviously we had a large a large um, program, and we were visiting a therapeutic feeding center. And then we had moved on to where they were doing the monitoring, you know, of their growth levels. And I remember seeing two young children with their father, and I asked him, you know, how old are they? And I think he said they were something like five or six years old. At that time, my two oldest boys were around that age, and they were so much smaller than my children were. And, you know, then just continuing to talk to the father and and the other parents there, and they just kept saying, I want you to see what's going on here, and, you know, please go back and tell everyone we do need help. Before we began the interview proper, I was delighted to discover that in my first job in 1990, I had visited Ritza's hometown in northern Greece, near where I was based. So I asked her a bit about her beginnings, and what had set her on her career path. I always knew I wanted to do something within the international NGO sector, you know, from when I was young. I just didn't know exactly what that was. <laughs> so I knew I liked languages, So and and I was good at learning new languages. So I decided, okay, I'll, I'll go to, when I go to university, I'll study languages. So I studied Spanish, I majored in Spanish, I also took Italian, I took French, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it other than be a teacher, right? Which was usually what you would do if you studied languages. And so I actually did teach for, I taught high school Spanish. I realized pretty quickly that it wasn't for me (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I was very interested in the culture and the literature and all of that. And, you know, obviously high school Spanish students are really not interested in that (laughs) for the most part. Um, So I thought, well, I'd like to do something different. I had a friend that was working in international logistics. They were hiring. So I did, you know, I took a job working with um, an international moving company that actually moved um, expats. And I remember my job was to schedule kind of the moves. That was my initial job. And I actually remember seeing Save the Children. We were moving somebody from Save the Children. I don't remember their name, but I remember we were moving them. And, you know, that kind of reminded me, oh, yeah, there's, you know, Save the Children is here locally. Maybe there's something with them. So, and I happened to be scanning job postings and I saw that Save was hiring for a a temporary position to support our Latin America operations. And I thought, great, I speak Spanish, you know, this will be a good fit. And and so that's how it started 23 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. 
and and I'm really I'm really interested that even back then logistics kind of somehow spoke to you. You know that was that was, you know, it takes a particular kind of mindset, doesn't it? You know, to respond to that rather than maybe some other kind of frontline humanitarian impulse, but. It's clearly very, very important to have people who have that that kind of mindset. So, do you think that's that's just the way that your mind kind of works? You like to make sure things operate in the most efficient way. Yeah, I I think so. I like solving issues. I like solving challenges. And obviously, even with international logistics, you know, you are dealing with a lot of challenges coming up, and and you need to come up with innovative ways to to resolve those those issues. So I think so. And, and it actually served me very well when I took on our commodity operations um, unit because I was familiar with things like shipping documents. I understood warehousing. I understood all of that logistics and operations piece. So, you know, I like to think everything I kind of did early on in my career really as I've taken on new positions, I found that it has been very useful and has helped me. So you began with Save the Children in 97. Tell me what you came in at the ground level to do. What was your sort of very I first was brief? a temporary administrative assistant. And really, I didn't care what the job was. I just wanted to start working with Save the Children. You know, I still remember my first day and being so excited to be here and working, you know, working with with such a great organization that I had heard a lot about. So it was working with our international country offices and providing that administrative support. So a lot of what we did was, you know, things like, getting the packet, you know, we used to have mail bins for each country office, right? And so we would get the mail, sort it through and, you know, get it into the right country office bin so that it would get to our our staff that were working overseas. And at that time, we used to have country office staff, particularly new country directors, you know, coming in to headquarters for their orientation, and so I got to meet a lot of these people that were working in, in country offices. And it was just really motivating to, to hear about their work firsthand. Back in the early days, you must have had a sense of a range of possibilities of different directions that you could perhaps orientate yourself in within the organization. So how did you decide on the path that you, that you followed? Well, the more I I was with SAVE, the more I knew I wanted to get closer to our field programs. When the opportunity came up to work on our commodity operations, that really spoke to me because it meant I would be going out to, to the field and not only going to country offices, which I had done a little bit of, um, before that, but actually going out to distribution sites, you know, and seeing yeah. what we were doing with beneficiaries, you know, seeing how the food was actually coming in um, to the country. And so it was a really, really interesting role. It was never kind of boring. I got to travel to many, many of our programs, and that was obviously very motivating. And so what's always driven me is to to do something that I enjoy and that I feel is making a difference and to just 
be able to really support our country, our in-country operations and our programs in-country. And if I can ask a really practical question, when you would go out to a distribution site, what would you actually be doing? I mean, would you be there with a clipboard? Are you getting a feel for how things are going? Are you problem solving? Are you spotting anomalies? What, what are you actually doing on the ground? So a typical visit would really be going into the country office and then we would go out to our distribution sites. We would usually um, attend a dis- an actual distribution. We would talk to beneficiaries and we would kind of hear from them how they felt, you know, our intervention was making a difference. So it was really a lot of actually meeting the different beneficiaries within our programs and seeing the different types of interventions and activities. One of my first visits was to our Ethiopia country office, where obviously we had a large, a large um, program, and we were visiting a therapeutic feeding center. We go in, and there's a large group of parents with their children, and they're getting kind of an education talk, you know, talking about different things that they can do within their kind of daily routine. And then we had moved on to where they were doing the monitoring, you know, of their growth levels. And I remember seeing two young children with their father and I asked him, you know, how old are they? And I think he said they were something like five or six years old. And I remember at that time, my two oldest boys were around that age and they were so much smaller than my children were. And, you know, then just continuing to talk to the father and and the other parents there. And they just kept saying, I want you to see what's going on here. And, you know, please go back and tell everyone we do need help. And that was having young kids at the time and then seeing young kids in that type of situation, it was difficult, but at the same time, it was, it was really motivating because we actually went to another site after that. And I met a mother with her baby and her baby was thriving. And, you know, it it was, it was clear that our, that our work was actually making a difference. In 2007, you began a five-year posting in Guatemala City, because you'd been US-based up until that point. Tell me about how that sort of changed your, your perceptions or your, or your experience. What was, was that a big decision, first of all? To, um, or did you feel that was something very much that you wanted to, to get your teeth into? I saw it as a great opportunity to actually work in the field, right? Being based in the regional office. And so I was very excited when that opportunity came up. You know, prior to that, I hadn't really been working with rules and regulations, but obviously our commodity assisted programming has to comply with certain rules and regulations. So I had had some, some exposure to it. And a lot of our awards in Latin America and the Caribbean at the time were commodity assisted programming. So it was a, it was a, a nice kind of transition. And in that role, I was responsible for working with country offices within the region and providing that support and oversight. And, you know, a lot of training, a lot of monitoring and kind of developing procedures 
that we would follow within our, our grants and contracts work. And your time in the region coincided with the, the Haitian emergency in 2010, didn't it? I mean, can you, can you say a little bit about that experience? Yeah, actually, I had just had my third child. She was born, um, I think, two days before the emergency hit in 2010. Yeah, so obviously I was out on maternity leave for some of that time, but then I I was able to um, work with and support the, the Haiti country office, especially after the emergency and just kind of getting... You know, it took quite a bit of time to get, you know, for the country itself to recover and, and had not fully recovered, obviously. And so we had a lot of staff um, in the country office and really working with them on the different types of funding that we were receiving from donors. So I, I did spend some, you know, quite a bit of time going back and forth. And then the cholera emergency hit as well. Now, you said a moment ago, Ritsa, you had had a sort of introduction to the world of rules and regulations, which perhaps you'd been less exposed to previously. As with your sort of first encounter with logistics, did you feel, yes, this is something that that my mind really responds to positively? Because I guess a lot of people, you know, it induces fear, the, the very talk of rules and regulations, whereas you see it as a sort of clearly see it as a sort of challenge and a world that you want to grapple with and get a fix on. Yeah, it did. Um, and I think where where it was interesting for me was always to look at, you know, what the different rules and regulations that we had to comply with. And then how do we tie that into kind of what we're doing financially and what we're doing programmatically? And that's the piece that I really enjoy. You know, you have what the rules say, and that you know, makes sense on paper. But when you try to operationalize it, that's where you really have to kind of think of different ways of approaching it. So that's really interesting. So say a little bit more about that sort of marrying up what the rules and regulations say and how you actually operationalize it. What techniques, what sort of approaches have you have you learned through your own experience that, that make that those two things synchronize? Well, I think it's really when we are training, we are training the right people, right? Compliance and rules and regulations, for me, just does not sit within one team who's responsible for it. It's something that is cross-cutting. We need to make sure that everyone who is, for example, working on a particular award is aware of what the requirements are. And then I think that's where you really can open up those conversations that need to be had when you're, when you're facing a challenge. So I think it's really about disseminating that knowledge um, across different teams that are uh, supporting awards. And I think it's also showing staff how if you follow the procedures and policies that we've put in place, you are complying with these these regulations. A lot of times, particularly in country offices, obviously they're dealing with regulations from different donors. And that can be very overwhelming, particularly when donors are each using their own terminology. 
But at the end of the day, I think if you can really get to a point where you see that this donor, EU donor may be calling it one thing, whereas the U.S. government is calling it something else, but really they're talking about the same thing. I think it's important to translate all that regulatory language into kind of our day-to-day work language. Right. So what you're talking about, I guess, is inculcating a culture in which compliance is sort of part of the bloodstream. So it's not just something that sits with you and your team and other people don't have to worry about it because you're looking after it. It's something which is actually, you know, circulating in, you know, in people's thoughts. So is that is that principally a matter of training or is there a sort of cultural aspect that goes beyond training, would you say? I think it's both. You know, when I took on this role last year, and I, you know, now I, I actually get to lead the function. A few things that I thought about were one, how can we use things like data in a way that tells us the underlying story? I think we focus a lot, you know, within the industry on KPIs, you know, your key performance yeah. indicators. And I can tell you one thing, but I think you need to dig a bit deeper and look at data in different ways and slice it in different ways so that you are really getting the full story. And where that helps you is, you know, where do we have to focus our efforts? Where do we have to focus our, you know, training? There's something where we're just not getting it right. And I think that's helped us a lot. We've, we've um, developed these reports. We, we just started using Power BI, which I think is a really powerful tool to develop what we're calling compliance risk and accountability dashboards. And right. so it's looking at that compliance risk across our operations. We actually have different teams that are feeding into to that dashboard that we put out. So it's not something that, you know, my team decides what should go in there and, and, you know, issues it with our data. And I think that's been really great. So is it too early to say what kind of results that's producing? Or are you already seeing some, some beneficial effects from that? I would say the benefits that we're seeing is that it's increasing visibility around our compliance risk. Um, within our operations. And it has helped us to also decide when is it, when are we at the point where we should be escalating something? There's a, um, a process in place, which I think has been very helpful. And then the other piece that has been really successful for us has been that we've redesigned our, uh, the way we do training. And so in the past, like most organizations, we did, you know, regional trainings where you brought staff from the region together and delivered a training on rules and regulations. You obviously could not bring as many staff as you'd like to because of the cost. And then you were relying on those staff to take everything that we crammed into a three to five day training and bring it back when they're, you know, dealing with their day to day work and kind of disseminating that knowledge within the country office. So what we started, we started doing this last year, we developed a training of trainers. So we brought together a smaller number of staff, two from each region, 
And we did a three-day training of trainers. So the first day we focused on presentation skills, you know, and how do you develop training. And then the next two days were really on the content. And the participants were actually, we, we developed content, but they were delivering the sessions using what they've learned in the first, uh, in the first day. And one, it was really right away. We could see what you, we had richer training delivery because you had participants that were dealing with this in their daily work. So they were able to weave into the presentation real life examples and approached it in a way that somebody from headquarters probably wouldn't have. And then most importantly, what we saw was when they went back, because one of the we've incorporated into this new training strategy, a certification program. So whoever attends this training of trainers is then responsible for taking it back to their region and delivering a certain number of trainings. We delivered this training of trainings in December, and we've already had 80 training instances. That means we've trained 80 staff. And the cost... The, the cost savings we have as well is really incredible. So we're training more staff. We're motivating staff. It's being disseminated, I think, in a much better way. And it's not costing us as much so that we can actually do more with that money, you know, for, for children. Ritsa, I sometimes ask people, you know, who change between different organizations, what sort of motivates their their change of of role and change of organization. In your case, you have remained with the same organization for, as as you say, over 20 years. So I guess I'm interested to know what is it that keeps you there and makes you feel that there's a very good match between what you want to do and what the organization uh, seeks to do? I mean, I can honestly say that I love working at Save the Children. It really is what I've always wanted to do. I've been here for over 20 years, but I've also been, you know, had the opportunity to work in different roles. You know, so I've really grown within the organization and that just keeps me motivated. Um, I believe in the mission, in our mission and in the work that we do. Um, And I do really feel that we are making a difference. So I guess I come to work and I love what I do every day. So that's what keeps me here. And the people I get to work with, and it it really is a great place to work. And, of course, Save the Children celebrated its centenary not so long ago. I'm not going to ask you to reflect on the whole century, but maybe you could. Can you say something about just how you see the organization having changed in the 20 odd years that, that you've been with it? I mean, obviously, it's changed, the sector's changed, requirements have changed. I mean, if you were to pick out some of the the most significant changes that you've seen yourself, what what sort of comes top of mind? When I think back in the last 20 years with Save the Children and, you know, what the changes we've kind of gone through, obviously we've grown. We've grown a lot. We're now um, Save the Children's in 120 countries. When I first started, we were were in probably around half. And I think I would also say that 
you know, the funding environment has changed, right? We've, our funding's been diversified and we're dealing with different challenges within, within our programs. So I think the growth, the, the diversification of our funding, those are probably the biggest changes over, you know, the last 20 years that I've been with SAVE. And what about the regulatory environment, the, the, the area that you're particularly concerned with? How do you think it's shifted in the last 20 odd years? I think we have had the opportunity as a sector to feed into the regulatory changes more. I think, you, you know, having Humentum, you know, we're just going through this now with 2CFR 200, where we yeah. are consolidating feedback and doing that in a coordinated way. I think that has helped. You know, the regulations, I think, are always going to continue changing. I wouldn't say they're more stringent or less stringent. I think they're just different. Do you think they're fit for purpose, if I can put it that way? Do you think they're doing what they need to be doing in the most effective and user-friendly way that, that, you know, given the complexity that's inherent, do you think they are doing what you need them to? I think it's more about... You know, rather than saying whether they are doing what they need to be doing, it's using our the tools that we have to work within them and come up with solutions yeah. that balance that regulatory compliance with our day-to-day operations and implementation needs, particularly in our country offices. It's really you know, having the right tools in place so that we're balancing the compliance requirements with kind of the on-the-ground reality. So that's going back to what you were saying earlier about marrying up the two, the two worlds, the, the regulatory environment and then the operational requirements on the, other, on the other side. Right, right. As we sort of begin to draw to a close, Rita, I wondered, I thought it might be interesting to get you to say a little bit about some of the, the, the biggest challenges you, you face, you know, you and your team at Save the Children, and also to talk about some of the, the wins that you, you've had in recent times. In terms of challenges, it's some of getting right that balance that we're talking about, right? Putting in place the right tools um, and resources for our staff that are actually implementing our programs. You know, that's one of the, the challenges, although... I think through our training that we've been able to move that needle um, and continue to move that needle. I think the other piece is getting right the way that we are monitoring our compliance and monitoring risk and what we're doing about that. So using yeah. data in a way, as I mentioned earlier, that's telling us the story and helping us to make management decisions around where we may need to strengthen processes or provide more training or clarify a policy. That's very dynamic, right? We can't just do it once. So getting that monitoring right and making sure that we are disseminating that across the organization and across different teams and when needed, escalating that up. So I think in terms of wins, the change in our training strategy for me has been a huge win because we are able to do more 
with less resources. And that means that we can use more of that funding to provide quality programs for children. And if I ask what part Humentum Connect plays in your your day-to-day existence, how does how does it figure? How does it help? How do you use it? That um I do use it a lot, you know, when we are dealing with something that maybe is um unique or you know, a new regulation has come out. Uh, you know, I do definitely look at the message boards or I will search them for past postings. And I also, whenever I can, contribute to, you know, questions that are posted. So I think it's a great community and, you know, using it to kind of to really learn from each other. And, you know, sometimes you don't need to start from scratch. You know, others have been thinking about it as well. So it's a good resource. My guest on this episode of Social X, the podcast from Humentum, was Ritza Christopheridis from Save the Children. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or follow Humentum on SoundCloud for more episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.